You know, I have a question for you. Is he worthy? Is he worthy? Okay. Um, let me try it. Let me try it differently. Is he worthy? That's all I ask of you. That's it. They said I could be a choir director. Let me, uh, let me talk with you here just for a few moments. Speaking of his worthiness, let's peek into heaven for just a couple of minutes. And I want to read from Revelation 5, 1 through 14. And I want to ask, answer that question, is he worthy? Listen to this. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which were the seven spirits of God sent out to all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of the one who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open the seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased for God's persons, for every tribe, every language, and people of the nation. You have made them be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on earth. Then I looked and I heard a voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000, and they encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. And in a loud voice, they were saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. What do you think? Is he worthy? What makes him so worthy? Jesus said of himself, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. He goes on to say, everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. Jesus is worthy because he's the resurrection and the life. The resurrection of Jesus gives us this incredible hope. When Jesus was crucified in 33 AD, around the same time, there, I want you to get your mind around There's about 120 followers. They'll be like this section. Who would claim to be a follower of his. Today, 2,000 years later, they estimate 2.3 billion people would say they're a Christian. Now, if I had, if I had time, I would unpack that because I don't, I don't believe that all 2.3 billion, even though they say I'm a Christian, um, really understand what the gospel means. But that's for another day. The Christian church is by far the lar largest organization on earth. It's bigger than China. It's bigger than China and Europe. It's bigger than China, Europe, and America altogether. How in the world did that happen? Talk about a growth plan. How do we go from 12 people that Jesus picked to 120 to 2.3 billion people? The only possible answer is the resurrection. When Jesus came to earth and died for the sins of mankind and then three days later was raised from the dead, everything changed. The resurrection became the single most significant event in all of history and always will be. So significant that every other event in history is given a date because of the resurrection, AD or BC. Pick a date, pick any date. Everything is measured against the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Your birthday, your anniversary, it doesn't matter. The day you started a job, everything is measured. Let me shift gears here. 
As people, we are prone to fill in the blanks. That's how we're wired, that's just what we do. If we don't have enough information regarding a situation, we begin creating this narrative in our minds so it'll make sense. I was fascinated this past week uh, listening to one of Tim Mackey's videos as he unpacked what he thinks, this is a little bit tricky here, listen, what he thinks the majority of non-believers, follow me, what he thinks the majority of non-believers think that believers believe. You got that? Pretty easy. Let me say it another way. If you are a believer, this is what most non-believers think that you believe. Let me say it another way. Imagine a reporter walking up to a non-believer and asking them, hey, what do you think believers believe? And he unpacks that and I thought it was kind of fascinating and here's what he said. He said what they would say in, in, in some form or fashion is this, that there is a beginning and then there's this line that is drawn to the end. And the end is the time in which God says, okay, it's done, it's over, thanks for participating. And then at that moment, there's this, this uh, crossroads in which some people will go to heaven and some people will go to hell. And then they would go on and say, this line though is, 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 is crucial because this line describes what I think as a non-believer that a believer thinks. There's this line and if you stay above this line and you do enough good things, and you're really good and you're trying really hard, but I also understand that I think that some believers dip below that line. I mean, I've seen them, right? They've done some bad things. They've done some things they shouldn't have done or said some things or whatever it might be. But if they stay above this line long enough, they're going to heaven. But if they don't, they're going to hell. That's what a non-believer believes that you believe. Hopefully that's not what you believe. Heaven is clouds and harps and singing. Hell is some sort of torture chamber where God is sadistically hurting people. So many people incorrectly assume what Christians believe, that we're trying to live a good life and hopefully the good will outweigh the bad in the end. How in the world would a non-believer ever come to that conclusion? That's easy. A non-believer doesn't base their assumptions on truth. Because where there's the absence of truth, the mind writes a narrative. The absence of truth leads to a wild imagination. I don't know what that does to you, but it makes me wanna set the record straight. The main problem with the imaginary narrative, there's one major problem, it's the Bible. If there was anything in this life that we must fight to make sure what is truly true is truly communicated and is truly understood, it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's no room for the gospel to be misunderstood. It makes complete sense to me that a person would conclude there must be some sort of line that the, a believer tries to stay above, a line that separates good from bad. Are you kidding me? There is no line. There are no scales at the end. What do you wish a non-believer knew about you? If you could have them know one thing, what is it that you would want them to know? I would want them to know what I truly believe about the gospel. I would want them to set aside all that they assume that I believe. 
I would want them to know what the Bible says. There is a Jesus. There's a cross. There's the resurrection. And there's an empty grave. Mark 16, 1 through 7, part of the Easter story. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, who's going to roll away the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the, the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled away. And as they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in white sitting off to the side, the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him? But go, tell the disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. To understand the impact of the, the resurrection, imagine if it never happened. Sometimes to grasp something, we have to flip it over for just a second. Listen to this. Without the resurrection, friends, Jesus would be a good man who did a lot of good things, but nonetheless, he'd be a pathological liar. Without the resurrection, Jesus died a horrific, unfortunate death on the cross for absolutely nothing. Without the resurrection, we would face every new day with no hope. Without the resurrection, the gospel is incomplete and meaningless. Without the resurrection, the promise of forgiveness would never be met. Without the resurrection, we would have to depend on self for any amount of joy. Heaven would be a fairy tale. Faith becomes an emotion. The Christian life is good works. There's no forgiveness and the weight of sin is on you without the resurrection. From eternity past, present, and future, I want you to imagine that there is a river that runs from the moment of creation until the end, there's this flowing river, eternity past, eternity future. When you surrender your life to Christ and you say yes to Jesus, you jump into that river. Here's the deal, the story is way bigger than you. And the story is way bigger than me. And it's way bigger than us. The gospel opens our eyes to an unfolding story that's way bigger than we can ever imagine. We are not worthy to save ourselves. We've all sinned, the Bible says, and fallen short of the glory of God. We've fallen short of his worthiness. Our sin is expensive. Somebody had to pay for it. The wage of sin is death. But, but the gift of God is eternal life. Friends, um, I'm just, I, I can't help but do this. So uh, I'm just going to give an opportunity right now. If you are here and you know um, the God, see, I believe that God draws people and, I, and you know that he's working on your life right now. You have this sense that something's going on and God's kind of honing in on you. And, and maybe you're here this morning and, and you're like, I want to receive Christ today. I, I want to know what, what, what Ethan and Patience and Pastor Andy and, and Pastor Anthony and the choir, what are they singing about? What are they doing? What is all of this? I want to give you a chance to do that right now. And I don't wanna make the gospel simple, but what I wanna do is just pray a prayer. And if you're here and you're like, you know, that is me. You're talking to me right now. I would encourage you just to pray in the quietness of your heart, the prayer that I pray. And then tell somebody, say, today I gave my life to Jesus. Would you do that? Father, I come before you. 
and I admit that I am a sinner. I admit that there is no line, that I fall short, way short of your glory and your worthiness. There is nothing in me that deserves you, your son, or salvation. Wages of sin is death. Thank you, God, for sending your son, your only son, to this earth to die on the cross, to be placed into a grave, and then to be raised again to new life, giving me new life. I surrender right now my life to you. I ask for the forgiveness of my sin. And Lord, I want to turn from my life and I want to follow you. I want to know what it means to be a Christian, a true follower of Christ, and I do that right now. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.